Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Here you go. Here you go. Opt out. Opt out. I'm opting out. Can you do that? That's the nothing personal word of the day. I've never seen a job where you can just opt out and get paid more money. But that's what Steven Strasburg negotiated, and that's what he did yesterday. And I'm here to tell everybody listening, subscribing, watching, whatever you're doing, if you can get an opt-out at your job, get it, because it's just a sword. It's never a shield. Now, what do I mean by that? It's always good for you. If you stink at your job then you're not going to opt out and you'll keep getting paid. But if you're really good at your job, then guess what? You can opt out and go work for somebody else. It doesn't make sense that I had to give opt-outs, and I knew when I gave them it was never good, but I gave in. Opt out, please. Spygate part duh. It's like Hot Shots part duh. It's as though every day we wake up waiting for the New England Patriots to see what's going to be next. Is it going to be the owner? Is it going to be the player? Is it going to be something regarding Tom Brady? Well, yesterday we got another Spygate. Now, what exactly happened? Something very innocent, according to the New England Patriots. But if it were so innocent, why did they release a complete statement explaining what it was? Well, here's exactly what happened if you're just waking up. Apparently, there was a camera crew that was fully credentialed to go to the press box at the Cleveland Browns-Cincinnati Bengals game this past week. And this was a camera crew that the Patriots are claiming is called an independent contractor. Well, don't buy into that. When you run a team, half the people who work for you are independent contractors. They still work at your pleasure doing the exact work you tell them to do. What independent contractor really means is no health insurance. That's generally the rule of thumb. So the independent contractors get credentialed, they go into the press box, and they start filming the sideline of the Cincinnati Bengals. What a coincidence. The Patriots are playing the Cincinnati Bengals. Yet the Patriots said, that's not what we were doing. We weren't trying to benefit our football team. We were actually creating content for an online show for you, the fan, so you could see what it's like in the life of a pro advanced scout in football. So instead of interviewing the scout, instead of showing the scout in the stands, they actually had on camera, up close and very personal, the defensive signals and every other coach's signal that was going on during the course of the game. And then they got caught. And then they ran for cover. Bill Belichick came out today and said, We would never want to cross that line again because it's happened and we don't want to be associated with behavior like that. And this is from a man who paid a $500,000 fine for his role in Spygate Part Uh. So why is it that the Patriots felt a need? I'm hearing everywhere on on the set of CBS Sports HQ, the Patriots are playing the Bengals. What kind of advantage do they need? Well, here's my answer. When you cheat and that's the way you've been operating, and when you go right to the line and sometimes cross it, it becomes an addiction. 
It has nothing to do with who the opponent is. You don't only try to spy before a Super Bowl or before a big divisional game. If that's your modus operandi, you're doing that at all times. Now, what a brilliant move by the Patriots to claim that it's part of a segment called Do Your Job. Well, it turns out the independent contractors were doing their job, and their job was to make sure there was video taken. But of course, that video was never seen by anyone in the football operations department. That video footage was never seen by anyone but people in the social media department or in the marketing department. Let me explain to you what happens inside a franchise. The baseball department and the marketing and sales department are not living on three separate islands. There's something called the team president. And what the team president does is make sure that everybody's communicating, that every department knows what the other department's doing. There is zero chance that the New England Patriots sideline, Bill Belichick, the GM, the owner, there's zero chance that they didn't know that there was a camera crew who got accredited to go to the press box of a Browns-Bengals game. Zero chance. Now you're saying I'm being cynical. And it's possible that they were just doing a show to add content to the fans and that the football department, Belichick included, would have no interest in seeing this footage. And in fact, they said they never viewed it at all. And when the Patriots found out it was going on, they immediately gave the footage over to the NFL. Don't buy into it. They knew it was going on before it happened. The only way to become an accredited member of the media and get access to the press box is the team Patriots have to submit permission, basically a form to the Browns asking for credentials, which are literally the things you see around people's necks with pictures and words. It would say New England Patriots on it. You can only get that with the Browns saying yes and with the Patriots making that formal request. And do you think the PR person, the head of PR for the New England Patriots just did that on his own? He came up with this great story idea that no one knew about. Of course, everyone in the Patriots knew about it from the top down. The big question that we're asking ourselves today is the reason why we don't believe Bill Belichick and the Patriots because they've been so good for so long and we love to hate them. Or is it possible that he has so much hubris and so narcissistic as an organization that they're fine with bending the rules, breaking the rules, taking every possible advantage? Is it possible that all teams do things like this, but they just do it worse because they get caught more than anyone else? I encourage you to think about what you do in your workplace when you're trying to get ahead. How far would you go? What line would you cross? And if no one were watching, does that make a difference? To the New England Patriots, it certainly did. Thank you, Jerry Jones. You're on my Christmas list, Hanukkah list. I'm saying thank you because you have helped nothing personal. Every day you give me something phenomenal to talk about with the listeners and people watching on CBS Sports HQ. And today you did something that you shouldn't have done, but not as the owner. I've criticized you as an owner for not firing your GM, which is you. But in this case, what you did today is the GM's fault. You had a kicker named Brett Maher. Now, Brett Maher is not an effective kicker. He's a kicker that from a GM standpoint, you need to cut him loose. You can do better. You're trying to take the lead in the NFC Lease Division. You know that that's been an issue. We all saw what happened last weekend. But here's my question, GM Jerry Jones. When did you know you were going to let him go? Well, as a president of a team, we know exactly what player moves are happening before they happen. We plan exactly when they're going to happen. 
We plan exactly how we're going to tell a player and when we're going to tell a player. And there's one thing we will never do. You never have a player make a community appearance on your behalf. And then on the way back from the community appearance to practice, you call him up and tell him he's waived. Well, that's what you did, GM Jerry Jones. Brett Maher went to a hospital, dressed as Santa. He may be Santa. He went and saw sick kids and patients with a smile on his face, knowing that he had a bad game. Do you know how many players I've had over the 18 years in baseball who after bad games would cancel community appearances because they were grumpy or who slept through it? Well, he knew that he had a problem last Sunday. He knew that there was a chance that he would not make it to this coming Sunday. And yet he woke up and he went to try to make a difference in other people's lives. And instead of telling him before that appearance, you waited because maybe none of your other players wanted to go. Or maybe Jerry Jones, the GM, wasn't paying attention to what's going on in the community department. But a good owner and a good president and GM knows every little thing that's happening in the organization. It's an ATD, Jerry. It's an attention to detail. And in this case, what you did to Brett was completely unacceptable. I have a, uh, a segment which I enjoy. It's, it's called, So You Want to Talk to Samson. And the reason that's my segment is people, it's from the movie Half-Baked, and it's people who go onto my Twitter at David P. Sampson, and they go into DM, and they say, could you please talk about this topic? And I got a great one to talk about. Two people, actually, for the first time, I got multiple requests for this. What is a mystery team, and how does a mystery team appear out of thin air, and is it effective to be a mystery team? And all of this is happening now because there was a report on Twitter today that there's a mystery team bidding for Garrett Cole. This is my favorite line. So here is the rule of a mystery team. They don't exist. It is simply done by agents in order to drum up bidding and to make owners panic. And I'll give you an exact example. Many years ago, there was a player in baseball named Alex Rodriguez. You may now know him as the first half of AJ or A-Low or A-Rod or J-Rod. But in fact, he was on his way to becoming a Hall of Fame player before steroids got in the way. Well, he was a free agent and he was negotiating to move teams. And wouldn't you know that there were some rumors about which team he'd sign with, but it was always going to be large market teams. And out of nowhere, a mystery team surfaced. And A-Rod joined the Texas Rangers on what was then a record-breaking deal and what is now are the peanuts on the floor of a restaurant like Five Guys. So the mystery team happens when an owner is watching CBS Sports HQ or reading Twitter or having getting calls from friends and family saying, you know, we could really get Garrett Cole. We need Garrett Cole on our team. He can help us win a World Series. Well, here's the point about mystery teams for players like Garrett Cole. The owner already knew that. A mystery team only works for mid-level free agents, for trades that you're not focused on, where a mystery team swoops in and makes a trade offer that no one had contemplated and there were no leaks. You can't have a mystery team for a talent like Garrett Cole because there is no owner in baseball who doesn't look in the mirror and say, Garrett Cole would help my team. There is not one owner who didn't go to his GM and talk about Garrett Cole joining the team and have the GM respond, listen, I'm happy to have a meeting with the agent. 
I'm happy to have Garrett Cole on my team. But tell me, Mr. Owner, what's our payroll going to be? And if your payroll is $120 million, you can't have one pitcher making 35 to $40 million unless you want to watch October baseball. The general rule of thumb is that you can't have one player more than 20% of your full payroll. Ideally, it would be no one player is more than 10 to 15%, but with the way superstar pay is going, that math is becoming increasingly difficult. So why is it that we hear about mystery teams? Because what's going on in the winter meetings now is a feeding frenzy of rumors and innuendo and straight panic. Steven Strasburg opted out of his deal, and he just signed with the Washington Nationals. Now you've got Garrett Cole, who's next, represented by Scott Boris. And the question is, what team will he go to? It's not a matter of, does he want to be on the East Coast or the West Coast? It's not a matter of a, the Minnesota Twins wondering whether Cole would ever want to play in the Twin Cities. Because the answer is, of course he would. The Twins would not need to be a mystery team swooping in and meeting under the cover of darkness. This isn't about intrigue. This isn't about when you're trying to recruit a high school player or a college player or a player internationally when you don't want other teams to know that you're interested. It makes no difference whether everybody knows or nobody knows that you are interested in signing Garrett Cole. Now, when it comes to a trade, let's say of Mookie Betts of the Boston Red Sox, there may be a mystery team involved in that or Chris Bryant. We've said here on CBS Sports HQ that the Nationals have checked in on Chris Bryant. Does that make them a possible mystery team? No, because every team checks in on every player during the winter meetings. They all text each other. They have their phones and they say to each other, hey, is Bryant really possibly going to be moved? And that counts as checking in on Chris Bryant. Because then the Cubs can put their name on a list, which is what you do at the winter meetings, You literally keep a list of which teams have checked in. There's an intern who does this on a whiteboard. And you've got all the players lined up. If you're the Cubs, you've got Chris Bryant written down. And you've got written down which teams have quote-unquote checked in. And on the right side of the whiteboard, you've got the name of free agents you've checked in on. The problem with checking in on a free agent, you're no longer than a mystery team. And what does checking in actually mean? It doesn't mean that you intend to sign this player. It doesn't mean you can afford this player. It means when you are talking to the agent of this player about any subject, including what drink you're going to order at the end of the night at the winter meetings, and it comes up, hey, what's happening with Cole? Are you moving on him soon? The agent gets to say that that team is now interested in signing Garrett Cole. That's how these rumors always start. You have to watch everything you say. But the incentive of having a mystery team is simply to scare Brian Cashman and Hal Steinbrenner and scare Artie Moreno and Billy Epler and scare Andrew Friedman. And it's only to say, if you want Cole, it's not just the Yankees you're going to have to outbid. It's this mystery team. But that's not how the Garrett Cole negotiations are actually going. Scott Boris has given every team the exact amount it will take to right now get Cole to sign during the winter meetings. Don't believe anything that you're reading that Scott Boris is waiting on offers. Scott Boris has made it very clear what it will take. And if you happen to hit that number first, you'll get him. But rest assured, you'll overpay for him. So 
the other part of the mystery meetings that I that I enjoy of the winter meetings, I call it mystery meetings. I'm not sure why. Is that uh, the managers have to go? All 30 MLB managers go, and all 30 managers have to meet the media at one point during the course of the day. And very few managers have anything interesting to say because we tell them don't say anything interesting. We would give them topics to talk about and explain to them things they can say. Because the managers actually sit in during these meetings. They get to see all the different possible trades, all the free agents you're looking at. They have all this information in their head. But then when they meet the media, we give them two or three specific things that they can mention. Yes, we are interested in a middle-of-the-order bat. Anytime you read that, please smile with me. Who's not interested in the middle-of-the-order bat? We're interested in bringing in more pitching. That's not exactly an epiphany. Everybody's interested in bringing in more pitching. But what Joe Madden did was actually more interesting to me. He was asked specifically about Garrett Cole. When you're asked specifically about a player, what we tell our managers, that's an S because we've had so many, you tell your manager, we don't talk about specific players who are free agents or members of other teams. It's not about tampering. It's about making sure that our fan base who's reading these media quotes or reading these tweets does not have an unrealistic expectation about the moves we're going to make. Make sure, we would always say, you downplay what we're doing. We want upside surprise if we make a big move. Now, Joe Madden doesn't exactly believe in that theory. He actually said when asked about Cole, Quote, we need something like that, and I anticipate something like that. As the president of the team, I would see that happen, and I would immediately sit my manager down and say, listen, Joe, I respect you. I love that you're a member of the Angels now. I know we just met and we're working together, and as a GM, I'm about to be fired if we don't make the playoffs, and you've got a long-term deal. But do me a favor. Don't say that you anticipate something like that. Because what happens if Garrett Cole goes to the Yankees or even worse to the Dodgers? Does that mean that we're a failure? Does that mean we can no longer sell season tickets? Joe, you never say that you're anticipating signing the biggest deal in the history of baseball for a free agent pitcher. In history, the deal was set yesterday with Strasburg. The record will be broken with Cole. But he wasn't done. He then admitted something that he shouldn't have admitted. He admitted, he said, Mike Trout? Yes, I know Mike Trout, but no, I haven't spoken with him yet. The new manager of the Los Angeles Angels just told us that he has not taken the time to speak to the one player who must buy into him in order for them to be successful. The one player. And he said he couldn't reach him because Mike Trout was hunting. Listen, you may need to switch cell phone carriers because I would imagine that there would be a time when you could have texted Mike Trout and he would have responded. And these days, millennials say texting is the same as speaking. You don't have to actually have a conversation with him, but you've got to contact him. You've got to be able to say during these winter meetings that, yes, I've been in touch with Mike Trout. We cannot wait for spring training, and together we are excited to play October baseball and win a series for the first time in his career. That's why I was hired here. Instead, he said, since October 16th, that is almost two months, 
he hasn't been able to connect with the greatest player in the game? That's frustrating to me. It is unacceptable to me. Now, did Mike Trout not respond to calls? Did Mike Trout not respond to texts? If I'm Joe Madden, I'm not going to say that publicly, but then I'm not going to talk about this with Trout, about Trout in front of the media. And I've seen players not respond. I've seen players not answer their phones, but that's not Mike Trout. Joe Madden, you're going to do better. You're going to do better on the field, but you better reach out to Mike Trout before it's too late. What is going on in the NHL? I, uh, I love the NHL. I love talking about it. But there's some strange stuff, and it happened more today. And, and I'm sort of a professional at firing managers and coaches. We've talked about it. You all know that. I love firing people. I always have reasons, which is I wanted the team to be better. You didn't do well enough. Jim Montgomery got fired today, the Dallas Stars head coach. Uh, not because the team isn't doing well. That wasn't the reason. The reason was apparently that somebody or something happened to Jim Montgomery and the Dallas Stars did a quick investigation and they came to the conclusion that they expect all of their employees to act with a level of integrity that was not shown by Montgomery. And then they fired him and they didn't tell their fans. They didn't tell anybody what the transgression was. We are left here to guess and to speculate. And I'm not breaking news. I'm not giving you what happened because I don't know. What I do know is that when you're going to fire your coach and you're going to give a quote like they gave, which talks about basically saying that he must have done something really, really bad because he said that it was a violation of the ethical standards that we hold true to as an organization. And all this is coming on the heels of all the NHL news about abuse and about all these things that coaches are doing. They're kicking their players. They're hitting their players. They're using racial epithets. They're doing everything under the sun that's wrong. We've talked about it on Nothing Personal. The question is for me, what is the NHL doing about this? Because why are we talking about all these coaches being fired, all these investigations happening? The commissioner of hockey is a guy named Gary Bettman. Very smart man. He's been the commissioner for well over a decade. There's owners meetings right now going on. And the NHL decided, keep in mind that the Dallas Stars are claiming that they had no idea what the NHL was working on. Not true. They're claiming that what they did today with Jim Montgomery had nothing to do with the NHL four-point plan on stopping abuse, which can't be true either. Because when you fire a manager or a coach, you alert the league office. There is a system in place so that there's full communication. When the NHL announces a huge initiative to try to curb abuse and deal with the PR backlash that is occurring right now in the National Hockey League, they don't do it in a bubble. They don't just spring it on the owners. There's not one thing in 18 years of owners meetings that I attended that was set up at during a meeting where I said, oh, my God, I had no idea we were discussing that. Things have to be put on an agenda. It's an actual board meeting. There are rules, not rules of etiquette. There are actual rules of procedure of how a board meeting works. There has to be full notice given. And if there isn't notice given, then there has to be a unanimous vote to allow a subject to even be discussed during a board meeting. The NHL came up 
with a big-time four-point plan. I, I wrote it down here. Obviously, that's not my handwriting. Let me say it better. I printed it here, and I want to talk about their four-point plan and why the NHL chose to make this their raison d'être maintenant, why it's their reason to be at this moment. They are trying to avoid what has been happening where the focus has been taken off the field. I get it. I'm good with it. But they're getting a lot of criticism because there is some thought that hockey is this hotbed of out-of-control, insane coaches who are abusive physically, mentally, and how that's not acceptable now in the workplace. This is a, a cry for a safe work environment. This is what human resources departments do. They try to create a safe environment for everyone. Well, one of my favorite topics that we had on Nothing Personal was about how a locker room in a clubhouse is not that environment, and there's nothing human resources can do. Well, NHL said, not today, not on my watch. Gary Bettman stood up, and he addressed the crowd of owners, and he said, number one, we are going to hammer teams with severe discipline if they become aware of incidents of abuse, but don't inform Big Brother, the NHL. Number two, the league will create a mandatory annual program for coaches, GM, and front office on counseling, consciousness raising, education, and training on diversity and inclusion. How many of you people work for a company where you have to go through a diversity and inclusion and a harassment seminar, and you have to sign up, do something online, let's say, and you have to check the box that you've been told about sexual harassment, about inclusion, about a safe work environment? Well, right now, the league is first creating this program for coaches and GMs. That's a serious part of a four-point plan. That's called the CYA. Three, how we're going to discipline these acts. Well, inappropriate conduct engaged in by club personnel will be disciplined either by the team, the league, or both. While discipline will be on a case-by-case basis, it's my intention that it must be severe and appropriate and designed to remedy the situation to ensure the conduct does not occur again. This is when I jumped for joy when I read this. They are going to discipline you so badly, so severely, that it will remedy not just this situation, but ensure it never happens again. Let's talk about that. What does it mean? Do you lose draft picks? I work for a Major League Baseball team. Take away my draft picks? Big deal. Find me a couple million dollars? I'm good. Vacate victories? Not let me compete for a World Series championship? Rule me ineligible for the playoffs? Now we're talking. Other than that, it's just dollars and cents. And I assure you that anytime there's a problem within an organization, the first thing they do, we saw with Mark Cuban and the Dallas Mavericks, he had the big issue of sexual harassment and horrible workplace environment. The first thing he did is he threw money at it. He created all these workshops and he created all these classroom activities and he created an investment arm that he's going to look and investigate, not an investment arm, of course, an investigation arm where he's going to look into everything that happened. That's what the NHL is saying here. We're going to look into everything, and then we're going to fine you, maybe suspend you. Are you going to fire an owner? Are you going to force an owner to sell a team? Well, if you forced an owner to sell, that would stop me 
from letting anything go on in my organization because I'm not going to let you sell my team. Come on, Gary. Number four. This is a good one. (laughs) A 24-hour, seven-day-a-week hotline where people can call in anonymously if they choose to report incidents or unacceptable conduct. Let me set the stage. Most incidents and unacceptable conduct happen not during office hours, I would argue, sometimes in the middle of the night. Which level of intern is going to be assigned to be on duty to receive the anonymous call 3 a.m. when there's been a problem of abuse? Or will it be during the day that there'll be somebody whose other job, have you ever seen the old telephone operators where they've got 10 lines? This one is the abuse line. Here's how the call would go. Hello, you've reached the confidential NHL abuse line. Who am I talking to? Oh, no, I'm sorry. I can't ask that question. You'd like to report something? Okay, um, but you won't tell me who you are? Uh, Can you tell me what team? No? Well, is there any... Why are you calling again? Oh, no, we're not delivering pizzas right now. 24-hour, seven-day-a-week hotline. Gary, this was your chance to actually be a difference maker in the NHL. This was your difference to stand out amongst the other four, three commissioners... I said four because I was including Don Garber for MLS, which I shouldn't have. But this is your opportunity. And instead, he came up with a four-point plan that, for me, it's not worth the paper it's printed on. (sighs) I'm taking a drink of water right now because we're reviewing a movie that probably the most personal movie I've ever seen. I watched last night Marriage Story. We talked about it. It got the most Golden Globe nominations. And uh, Adam Driver is really the odds-on to win Best Actor. Scarlett Johansson will be nominated for Best Actress. It's directed by Noah Baumbach, who directed Squid and the Whale. It's pretty autobiographical. And Marriage Story is whatever you think about it, whatever preview you've seen, I'm going to tell you what Marriage Story is about. It's a story about a man and a woman and their child. And it's a story about what happens to the child during the course of divorce and how divorce happens and why it happens and how a mother and father can completely act what they think is in the best interest of the child, but it's not. How a mother and father can completely change the way they react to each other only because they get lawyers involved who don't care one thing about the child and don't care about anything but the legal bills. And what Noah Baumbach did is he created a story that is so significantly meaningful with performances the likes of which I don't recall seeing. I found it personally difficult to watch. And I know many of you who are children of divorce the way I am are saying you're not going to watch the movie. But I had the opposite approach. I wanted to watch it because I wanted to feel the way I felt. I was six years old when my parents got divorced, and my mother moved me and my sister to New York from Milwaukee, Wisconsin, much like what happens in Marriage Story. And it started what for me has now been a 45-year process of basically blacking out many things in my childhood, not remembering, not wanting to remember, figuring out who to blame, understanding who was lying to me and who wasn't when I was a little boy. This isn't about what happens when you get divorced and your kids are in high school or college. 
It's about what happens when you get divorced and your kids are five years old or six years old. And it's the selfishness of parents who think they're acting in the best interest of the child because they want more time with them. But what they don't realize is the fighting they're doing causes the child irreparable pain that never goes away. I have that pain and it's, I don't blame my mom or my dad. I blame the circumstance. I blame the fact that they couldn't get along when I was a child. I blame the fact that they put me in the middle all the time. I blame the fact that they would say things to me that were obviously lies just to forward their own story and make their own story better. And I haven't been able to forget about it. And there's nothing any therapy can do, even though I try, because every, there's triggers. And marriage story is going to be a trigger for many people out there. But it's an important trigger to have happen because it, it, it was therapeutic for me. I spent, it was about a two-hour movie. I spent almost an hour of it. I could feel tears coming down. And I, I was, I'm actually sweating. I don't know if you're, if you're watching or subscribing. I'm nervous just talking about it. And, and the reason is that it, it feels like it's written for you. But to not see it because you feel as though it's going to hurt too much, that's not allowing yourself the process of healing. And it's not allowing yourself an opportunity to look at how to act. And if you have little kids and you're thinking of getting divorced, you have to watch this movie as an example of what not to do. People will say it's what you should do because Adam Driver ends up becoming a hero. Scarlett Johansson ends up becoming a hero. There's a bit of movie magic to it. I didn't find them to be heroic characters. I found them to be two people doing their best to navigate a situation that is basically unnavigable and almost impossible to come through unscathed. But if you're gonna try, then the first thing you have to do is try not to get lawyers involved before you found a way to make it so your child is not in the middle. Go see Marriage Story. You won't regret it. It's not gonna feel good, but you won't regret it. I had a uh, switching gears for a minute, if you don't mind. There was a, uh, excuse me. God, the Jets are a mess, aren't they? When you've got a player who is, uh, here's how it works in sports when you're sick or you're hurt. There's something called the training room and a training staff. And the way it works is when you're sick, you have to report to the training room because you have to get looked at by the training staff so they can evaluate whether your treatment is going right. They can evaluate whether they're doing the right thing to make you better. Le'Veon, Le'Veon, is it Le'Veon or Le'Veon, Coca? Le'Veon, damn it. Le'Veon Bell, Le'Veon Bell has the flu. He doesn't show up. He doesn't go through workouts. He misses the walkthrough. And then it's announced he's not going to play in Sunday's game. Yet, he was on social media on Saturday night bowling. He went bowling. I don't care whether he was drinking. I don't care that he went bowling the night before a game. What I care about is if you've got the flu, do you really want to get the people you were with sick? Do you have such little regard for your friends and your bowling teammates that you don't care that you're putting your flu-ridden fingers inside the bowling ball holes and letting other people with OCD touch those holes and getting sick? Were you thinking about that, Bell? 
Were you thinking about anything? Because it's an embarrassment. It's an outrage. You're a disgrace for having done that. If you can't play a game, then stay home and watch Netflix. Don't go out bowling after you've told your team that you can't practice and can't play, that you don't show up for a walkthrough, and you have enough energy to go out. Was it a 24-hour bug? Then you should have played. It's your job. I have a hard enough time when players go out the night before they play or pitch. It drives me insane. But if they can answer the bell, I'm a consequentialist. Whatever you can do on the field, however it is that you get prepared, as long as it doesn't involve handcuffs and a mugshot, I'm all in. But if you can't answer the bell, no pun intended. I just realized that that was like a pun festival. If you cannot answer the bell and play, then sit at home in front of your 65-inch TV. The Jets have a systemic problem. Adam Gase is not ready to lead a team because as the leader of a team, you have got to know everything about your players. All Gase said was, that's not a good look. I don't like the optics of that. That's what you're going to say when you have a terrible team that can't win a game. You have a player who you gave a ton of money to, and the best you will say is you don't like the optics of Bell going bowling the night before a game when he's not going to play, when there's only 16 games in the whole season, and he claims he's sick, and the best you're going to say is, oh, I don't like the optics. Guess what, Case? I don't like the optics of you coaching a professional team. I don't like any of it going on in New York right now. I'm running that team. I'm sitting down right now. Number one, I'm getting ready for a new coach for my third time in three years. Number two, I am fining and suspending Bell. Not because I don't like that he was bowling. It's because he's either lying about being sick or he doesn't want to play. And no matter how you slice it, it's an absolute embarrassment to the organization. Speaking of embarrassing, how many of you are Nick fans who want Jim Dolan to sell your team? You ready for Jim Dolan? You aware, right? We know he got fired. That's not interesting to me. Fizdale, 4-18 and 18 start. What's amazing is people thought, hey, Fizdale was going to be the difference maker. We have a chance. We've got Steve Mills, president. We've got Scott Perry, GM. We've got David Fizdale coaching. We've got a ton of cap space. The Knicks are going to be great, but they weren't. When you fire a coach, you stand up and take it like a man. You meet the media. You tell your fans what you're doing, why you're doing it. Well, Jim Dolan, Steve Mills, and Scott Perry hid. They hid behind their interim coach, Mike Miller. And I don't mean the three-point shooter. They hid behind Miller and had Miller meet the media for the first time after Fisdale was fired. That is shocking. The level of ineptitude at the top of the New York Knicks franchise is historic. Yes, Steve Mills, I'm talking to you. If Jim Dolan tells you you're not allowed to meet the media, you tell him, I don't care. Of course I have to meet the media. If you're the GM, Scott Perry, and you want a career in basketball, and you're not meeting the media because Jim Dolan or Steve Mills said you can't, you meet with them off the record. You do whatever you have to do to let the media and your fans know that you're going to do it right. But instead, Jim Dolan and his merry band of incompetence have given you yet another reason not to be a fan of that team. And how are you going to attract a good free agent? And how are you going to attract more 
business, more money, more fans, more sponsors, more players. You're going to have to pay him. I can't think of another way. You're going to have to pay a coach. Will it be Mark Jackson? Would that be a great homecoming for him to come back? Mark Jackson, who had that run in Golden State, no nothing until Steve Kerr took over. Is he qualified candidate? He is. But does that make sense for the Knicks? Well, working for Jim Dolan is no picnic. And if you're going to get a coach, you're going to have to overpay. David Fisdale was one of the great guys in all of sports. One of the best people you'll ever meet. And the way he was treated was outrageous. But what was worse is the way you, the fans, were treated. You were not basically given the honor of being explained why you should give your emotion and your hard-earned money to this organization because they take you for granted. Don't let them take you for granted. Turn it off like a light switch. NBA did a uh, Houston Rock. You know, I've protested so many games. Here's how it works when you protest a game. Uh, you're watching a game. We'd watch it in the box with the GM, and there'd be a play, and we would question. We'd get out the rule book. Actually, every game that we'd watch in the box or wherever we were, even in the stands, we always had a rule book with us. The MLB rule book is extremely thick. For everyone who tells you in baseball they've memorized the rule book, they're lying to you. Not one executive, no matter how long he's been in the game, has memorized the MLB rule book. It can't be. I promise you. So we'd have a rule book. It gets sent to you updated, both as a hard copy and then digitally. And we keep it on our phones. And we would keep the hard copy. And when something happened, we would decide whether or not we're going to file a protest if we didn't agree with the call. But before we officially filed the protest, we would call Joe Torrey or call someone at Major League Baseball and discuss the process. This was the call. This is what happened. Where is your head on this? There'd be a conversation. I'm not sure what the Houston Rockets did after the James Harden protest. To remind you of how it went, James Harden went in for a game against San Antonio. There was a 13-point game. And he dunked the ball. And he dunked it with such force that the ball actually went through the basket and defying gravity somehow went through the basket, then back up over the basket, through the rim again, as though it never passed through. And the rule in basketball is it has to pass through the rim in order to be a basket. Well, this ball both passed through the rim on the way down and then again came back up. I never actually understood how that could happen. I've never seen that happen before. But that was the force with which James Harden dunked the ball. And it created chaos. The three referees at the time did not allow any sort of coach's challenge. And they basically got reprimanded for it. They got in trouble. The Houston Rockets tried as hard as they could to challenge, but they weren't allowed to do it. The referees met and they didn't change the call and the Rockets went on to lose. The NBA then watched as Houston lodged an official protest. I only lodged a protest when I thought I could win it. And you can never win a protest because how do you win? You only win a protest when they actually play the game over from the spot where the mistake happened. And the level of mistake required to actually have that happen is so significant that in my 18 years, never happened. Never seen it. This was not an example where the Rockets were going to win this protest. So the NBA came out and they denied the protest but then they sort of made it worse by saying, we're denying the protest, but we agree there was a problem, so we're going to discipline the referees. But we are going to do an investigation. Remember, we talked about that on Nothing Personal. That's what everybody does. 
They do an investigation when there's a problem. And we will work to develop additional procedures to help prevent the situation from ever occurring again. That last line is a copy and paste that is used so many times by these sports leagues and by teams. We basically have it in the PR handbook where we talk about we are going to make sure that this doesn't happen again. But it always happens again. We talked about it on Spygate. Things happen again unless you do something with such great penalties that the deterrent is such that people will make sure it doesn't happen again. NBA, you could have done better. Tell you, we can't do better on these pick of the days. I know you were on the Giants because we told you to do it. We're making money hand over fist. We got an NBA game today that we're taking. Philadelphia, four over Denver. Why? Because this is a Joel Embiid over Nikola Jokic. That sounds crazy. Why am I taking Embiid over Jokic? Because that's where this game will come out. Take Embiid over Jokic. Take Philadelphia. Lay the four. Let's keep the streak alive. It's time for the wait to see because we're going to wait. Pat Shermer, he gave me my wait to see today. He was asked whether he thought he would be the coach of the Giants for the rest of the season. And he actually said, wait and see. He doesn't realize it's wait to see, not wait and see. Well, my wait to see, Pat, is don't you worry. Your season is so far gone. It's so definite that you will not be the coach of this team next year. But I promise you get the final three weeks to say goodbye to your team. Make it the long farewell and enjoy. But Pat Shermer, just know this, my friend. It's not business. Yes, it is. It's always business with a head coach. It's nothing personal. It's happening daily. We're being conned by the institutions we used to trust. The mainstream media is distracting us with meaningless headlines instead of focusing on the harsh realities facing American families. Time is short before something big happens, and that's why so many folks are preparing. They're becoming self-reliant by investing in emergency food storage from My Patriot Supply. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure four-week emergency food kits for each member of your family. Each kit contains tasty breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Save $50 on each four-week food kit you purchase. Plus, get free shipping on Ready Hour four-week emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour foods. At My Patriot Supply, you can also get solar power generators, water filtration units, heirloom seeds, and survival gear. Order by 3 p.m. and your unmarked boxes ship the same day. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com. 